You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts, Ezra Beyer and David Hardkoff. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to talk about today, we've had different guests on the last number of weeks, and then we'll be having guests on uh, for the foreseeable future. Um, but since we had a kind of a break this week, I wanted to talk specifically on some of the stuff that I outlined with my latest book, Walking with a Limp. And uh, just kind of because one of the reasons, yeah, exactly. Um, one of the reasons mm-hmm. that we've gone through this a lot of this journey together yeah. and I thought we could really bounce some ideas and hopefully provide some helpful stuff for people that have gone through hard times, whether it's depression like I experienced or, or other hard battles that they've gone through yeah. and maybe just don't see a way out. So that's kind of where my thought process is, is today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you because I really, I'm, I was, as, as we were prepping for some of this, some of my thoughts turned to, you know, I didn't realize what Ez was going through completely and I thought I really understood, and I, I'm pretty sure I probably gave him some terrible advice along the way. So I kind of am hoping that you beat me up a little bit, be like, you should never say this to somebody. <laughs> well, but, and, and there's part of the, honestly, there's part of the thing right now where after writing about it for a while and then, you know, speaking on it several different places, and then they'll be speaking a little bit on this topic next week at, at my church. I kind of get to the place where I get almost tired of talking about it in a sense because uh, here, here, I guess here's my fear. Sometimes when people talk about depression and things like this, it can have a tendency, in my opinion, to become very me-centered. Mm. And mm. the conversation keeps coming back to, well, you just don't know the pain and the things that I've experienced. Mm. And it kind of creates this this silo in a, in a sense where they have yeah. experienced this isolated pain that no one else can relate to. And it's true, no one else can quite exactly relate to what they've gone through. Yeah. And so I guess I don't want to create that dynamic. My thought process is just, man, if someone's going through some hard times, maybe such as that I went through, yeah. then I want this to be a thought process of not just so much, okay, how can I work my way out of a hard time, but really ask the deeper question, okay, what is God, how is God refining my character? How is he changing me during this season? Of my life. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I think one of the things that I appreciate uh, in your writing here, which, man, I'm serious. I mean, he's my friend and my running buddy, but y'all really need to to pick this book up. It's it's not it's not a slug it through type of read. It's an easy read, and there's a lot of practical advice in here. But one of the things I really appreciated about your writing is, um, was while you were pretty honest about some of the things you went through, there was a, there was sort of this optimism of grace flavor and the, the thoughts of hope. You were moving me towards hope. You were moving me towards look what God can do. It, it was not moving me toward like despair over your story. And I think that was a, a key takeaway for me. It, I didn't finish reading thinking, oh my, what a hard time he went through. I was like, man, he went through some hard stuff. But wow, was God at work at him uh, in him during this time? And I, this for me, man, I really appreciate that. Well, I guess part of that's, I'm glad to hear that. I guess part of my struggle is sometimes I hear Christian music, right? Or I'll hear mm. um, sermons. And 
the my, my challenge is sometimes we almost glory in the struggle that we mm. almost there's there's this part of us that um in the lyrics we sing it's almost as if the struggle in and of itself is like magnified like and yeah. when i read scripture i i just i just don't see that i see yeah. the struggles and the pains that we go through on this earth as a result of the fall and they're not yeah. there's nothing good about yeah. that right and, yeah. and we sometimes fail i think to point people to the ultimate hope that is coming in christ and yeah. and a day when everything will be made new and so i guess that's yeah anyways i just i just struggle with with that yeah what i think one of the things that i notice in corporate worship and increasingly a, a lot of people that i chat with we talk about how we have this whole uh this whole book of Psalms and somewhere between a quarter and a third of them are Psalms of lament. They're lament. Yeah, and a lot yeah. of them were even meant to be sung corporately, but you have some, uh, thank shout out to Travis Johnson, but you have some of this David being honest and saying, Lord, why me? Why this? Why now? Why not that other guy? And, um, but yet there's a, there's a huge difference between asking those questions and then giving them to God, these great pivots that happen in the Psalms of Lament, where they, they say, Lord, I don't know why this is going on, but I know who you are, and my trust is in you. And they, they sort of, they turn in the middle of them. And teaching people to lament rather than despair, um, I think that could be a, a, a huge important takeaway, uh, even, even in corporate worship. Um, but yeah. that's uh, my soapbox. <laughs> Yeah, well, and just for those that don't know that have not either read the book or aren't familiar, just a quick backstory. Um, I really had never noticed much of a struggle with depression, and then uh, moving up to Toronto was about a year and a half in, and that I really began to notice. Oh man, okay, there's something that I'm dealing with that is really, really difficult. And I remember it was a February. I woke up one morning. And my wife just, uh, she was about to go off to school, and I was just, we were sitting around the table, I think it was like 7 a.m., something like that, getting breakfast together. And all of a sudden, like, tears just started to come down my face, and I was like, man, what is this? Like, this is really weird, and just so unlike anything that I personally had experienced. And then over the next while, uh, the next several weeks, months, it would kind of go away, and then all of a sudden it would, like, come back again. And at first, I would kind of describe it like this, like that it was kind of predictable. You knew maybe something would happen, a hard thing would happen, and then it would pop up. And some people refer to it as the black dog of depression or something like that. Um, and, and, but over time, it became not just predictable, but very unpredictable. And all of a sudden, and, and then lengthy seasons where it would be weeks on end, where there was seemingly no light at the end of the tunnel, total darkness, and and for the Christian, I, I think this is the challenge for for some people maybe watching or listening, is that your hope is in God, and when there is a cloud that settles over you and you feel that God is distant, does not care, and He's not working in your life, that that's kind of what the cloud says to you. Um, it's a very, it's a very, uh, um, it's a hard place to be because you're wondering, okay, so God, what do I do now? Like, how do I move forward day to day? So, I mean, and, and in the midst of this, I know we had 
mm. a number of conversations and and I don't know. When did I first start talking with you about this? I can't even remember. Yeah, I just remember you being up in Toronto. And for those, I mean, I assume a lot of you know, but Ez was up there planning a church. And uh, I I think it's fair to say there was, it, it was not, uh, it was not as glamorous <laughs> as yeah. many, you know, for any of you that just are, uh, sick of your pastor or frustrated with something or you've had it up to here with your denomination or some issue that you have and you're just like, we're just going to get some people together and we're just going to go, you know, like plan a church, you know, you need to talk to, <laughs> you need to talk to Ez and uh, hear some of the difficulties and struggles. But I just remember maybe a pivot in our weekly conversations where it, it was like, a darker and darker version of sort of the same story every week. And as somebody that has never gone through, and by the way, neither Ezra or I are, we are not coming at this from a, some sort of clinical perspective. We're, We're mostly sharing his experience here. And so I've never dealt with this. And I have this friend that is kind of, it seems like he's singing a different version of the same verse to me every week. And I'm like, man, he's in a bad place. And unfortunately, you know, as a dude, maybe my first instinct was to say, like, he needs to snap out of this. You know, I I, I had no tools or awareness to, to to give good advice. In fact, I'm probably sure I, I gave you some bad advice at that point, which I'd love to hear you roast me a little bit. If uh, I know you maybe, mentioned that earlier and, and no. uh, before we got online that if you would ever get, and honestly, I can't really remember that, that, that you did. I, you know, it's interesting. I, I guess this is maybe, maybe um, I'll just speak to this a little bit. Cause one of the things that I'm doing right now for my, for my doctoral research is I'm interviewing a series of uh, church planners and they're all in Toronto. That's just kind of, I started it in Toronto and then continuing it. Now the subject of depression is very, very common. And, so let me just, and so why is that the case? Well, he, he, here, here's the challenge, the unique challenge of church planning, specifically in a city where there's hostility towards the gospel, things like this. It's, it's a very isolating experience. Um, so to the place where it, it's, it's very difficult. So I, I'll speak with these church planners every week. We do interviews. It's very difficult. Sometimes I talk to Janan, like to get off these conversations and then just have a regular conversation. I'll just flat out say it with someone that pastors in more of a rural setting in America. Yeah. It's yeah. completely different. Completely different. How? Um, tell, tell me, like, what? What? You're in the city. I know you're in Toronto. You're planning, but you know, what do you? How, what do you say to somebody that says, you know, people are people everywhere. They need to hear the gospel. You know, plant the yeah. seed. All the platitudes. Well, so so simple things. Okay, so we're having a guy named Jeff Christofferson on the podcast in a few weeks mm. from now, which I'm excited about. So pumped he, about that. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's awesome. Writer for Christianity Today. He lives uh, not too far outside of Toronto. And one of the interesting things, he let's just take a simple political thing with the Trump effect, right? Um, the percentage of Christians in Canada that now consider themselves evangelical, I think he was saying to me the other day, has dropped from somewhere, I think it's like 15% down to, uh, it's, it's in single digits now, significantly wow. because of there's this 
you know, rightly or wrongly, however you view that that issue, that just is a reality. And so there is a strong sense in Canadian churches to want to kind of break free of anything that looks like the U.S. That just is absolutely reality. And so coming from the U.S., it's kind of an odd, odd paradigm, right? Because when I'm <laughs> when I'm in the U.S., sometimes I feel like I'm that liberal Canadian. And then when I'm in Canada, sometimes I feel like like that conservative American, right? Um, and, and so when you work in in a situation like that, let's just take neighbors, okay? When I live in Idaho right now, um, very common. It's easy to say, okay, well, what church do you go to, or what? And, and if you say I go to church, that's almost a conversation starter, almost. In Toronto, it's completely different, where where to the degree where if you just say that you go to church, a lot of times people just look at you in total puzzlement, like, like what or, or why? Like, why yeah. would you even, even do that? And so in our, in our neighborhood in East Scarborough, um, I can't think of one person on our street that went to church besides us. And we had, you know, a row of probably 50 houses, something like that. Um, and, and so that's just the difference. Um, in, in total mindset, because in in a lot of places, I would say you start here, and then in places like in the inner cities, of, well, I'm sure Chicago and New York would be mm-hmm. similar, you're starting way back here. And that's here's the thing, that's mm-hmm. my passion is to reach people in that those neighborhoods. That's just my passion, right? Yeah. But it, it requires a different skill set, a different level of missiological, like a stumble of that word uh, of thinking of, of like from a missions approach. Yeah. Um, then I probably went into it thinking so, and yeah, all so, of that contributed. So, yeah. So you have sort of like this idea or mindset that you're trying to import into a place, you know, where I pastor um, when there are problems, even people that don't attend church regularly, somehow they will get a hold of my number. And I've, I've told I've told my my congregants like pass my number around. If you have a family member that needs prayer, if you know everybody in that community, you know, first of all, if all the members would show up that claim to be a member of this church, like the entire community would show up because whether or not they attend or most of them that don't, they all when there's a problem, the first place they go is I am their pastor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. I, I'm hearing you say like that that's not even, that's not even, it's so post-Christian, some of the models and things that you tried to implant. And maybe, is it fair to say as that the spiritual warfare that you experienced in a place like that is completely different as well? I mean, for me, again, this might not be everyone's experience. I was just talking to a church planner the other day, and they said when they would get back into Canada from the States, it was just like a weight of relief. And it was like, oh man, I, I just, I feel like I'm, I'm home again. For us, I just remember this very clearly driving into the city, it was it was almost like this darkness that would just kind of fall over you again. And probably some of that's just the weight of responsibility and, and things like that. Yeah. But absolutely, hand, hands down, um, it's it's just it's just so different. So like, he, he, even simple things like this. So w- one of the hardest things I remember was like, uh, sometimes interacting with friends from the States, where they would talk about how it was kind of difficult working with someone from a different denomination, right? And my thought process, 
living in Toronto was just like if you found other, it's not like there were never other Christians. That's not, not the picture I'm trying to paint. But if you were just interacting in your neighborhood and you came across someone that attended another church, like that was awesome. It didn't really yeah. matter. I mean, unless they're a cult, but it didn't really matter yeah. <laughs> where where they where, where they were at because you had so much in common. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you, so do you think, um, so you have all of this going on. Do you think the pressure of building this church from scratch and then, I mean, quite frankly, you don't, you don't have an army of staff. So you're, you're going at it and, and working, putting in long hours and, then did you sense like a a breaking point when you realize like, Oh, this isn't just discouragement. This is something completely different. What, what was that like? Well, like just first off, I made mistakes. I I just made mistakes. And, Mm. you know, I think we were, I was 25 when I moved there and just, I think you, so, so a couple things, if I were to go back and do things differently now, which hopefully one day, uh, like we hope to be in maybe some sort of, inner city ministry yeah. experience again, because there, there is something really awesome about working in an area and having these conversations with people that know very little of Christ. And there's just something mm-hmm. so, so powerful about that. And, and I miss that, to be honest. Um, but s- simple things like, okay, so in, in Canada, um, non-denominational churches are a lot less than there are in the States. They're viewed a lot more skeptically. Uh, whereas in the states, it's pretty common non-denominational church. Okay, n- not a big deal. In in retrospect, it would have been better served instead of just trying to start as, as soon as as we did when when I got up here. I would have gotten on staff at a church, not necessarily even on staff, but just been on at a, at a church for a year and really learned. Um, I, I grew up in Canada, but Northern yep. Ontario is very different than Toronto. And so just just spent some time really learning, okay, and then from that local church saying, okay, so now we're going to impact this community 10 miles away, which in Toronto is like, you know, a huge, you know, totally different, different culture. Um, And so that's, that's the approach. I, I would take and and just a simple thing, even like Vance Pittman, I think some of his, his stuff has really helped me a pastor in, in Vegas, really asking yourself, okay, what what are ways that my church or what I'm doing in this city can contribute to God's kingdom expanding? And if that looks like me starting another church, great. But if it's helping something that's already existing, then I want to do that too. And and I think I think just thinking mm-hmm. from that perspective, how can I reduce the lack of a better term, lostness in the city and and just do whatever I can to partner. Um, I think I would take more of, of, of that approach if, if I were to, to switch. But just kind of coming back to that real quick. So when Yohan Hari, he writes this book called Lost Connections, and some of you watching or listening might have read it, and it deals with depression. And just a quick, quick thing. He, he suffered with depression for years and years. So 10 or 15 years was taking medication, things like that. And um, again, this isn't a knock against medication. I've taken it as well. Um, but so he, he was taking medication. Um, and then he finally, he, he began asking himself, okay, are there any common denominators between people, those that have suffered 
with depression. And this took him around journey around the world. And he's a very famous researcher. And, and he had hundreds, if not thousands of conversations with different people that have struggled with depression around the globe. And he kind of came up with nine different things, you know, mm. a good book, book a formula, I guess, uh, but <laughs> nine different things that really popped out. And, um, what was interesting and some of them were just basic, like spending time in nature, having mm -hmm. a meaningful, uh, work experience, um, basic things. And what I realized when I moved to Toronto after reading his book, I was like, wow, seven of these almost converged on me instantly when we moved there. And I didn't think about it or any of that stuff. And so the reason I say that is like, sometimes obviously there's, we can talk about this in a sec, but there's a place for medication. There's a place for mm -hmm. counseling and things like this, but there's also a place for really evaluating, okay, what are some of the life situations that might have changed to where I wasn't struggling with depression and anxiety, at least as openly as, as yeah. I might be now, what has changed and brought about this difference? So yeah. anyways, so you, yeah, so, so you, you start, so seven of these things, you're like, in hindsight, you see this, but you're in the middle of it and you don't see it. What, where was the, where was the breaking point when you, when you maybe realized, man, something, something's really wrong here. When did, when did you try to reach out to somebody? Um, if you don't mind sharing that. Yeah, I can't remember the date. Um, and just to kind of add on to that, I, so I am a student of the industrial age in the United States. So actually I was watching a thing on this last night. Okay. And the show on, on Amazon, the men who built America <laughs> and you know, um, so you got Charles mm -hmm. Vanderbilt and you got Johnny Rockefeller <laughs> yeah. and guys who are, uh, uh, you know, Andrew Carnegie, who probably not, should not have like a music hall named after him. Cause he was kind of ruthless. Right. You, you, you have all, bit, of these, yeah. <laughs> all of these men and, and they just did things. And that's, that's how we've kind of been trained a lot, a lot of ways we just plow forward. And when I read, read World War II stuff, I wonder today, my brother's mentioned this a time or two, and, and I think he might be right. I wonder today if our generation could win World War II, mm. because there was like a generation of people that just said, we're just going to do it. We're going to build a railroad across from east to west. <laughs> and however mm. many casualties happen, that's, that, that, yeah. that's just going to be reality. And... I, I think I've, I have kind of bought into that in a sense where prior to going through the depression, if you told me to do something 100%, I'm going to try to do 115%. But I always go yeah. a little bit above and beyond. <laughs> for those of you that don't know Ez, he is like underselling how true this is for him. Okay. I could tell you stories. I don't want to. But like if you just want to talk about somebody that's all in, like on everything, get as good as he can at something. Yeah, he's just all in. Uh, and I don't. So let me like just throw this into the mix. I don't know that that's all bad. Like having this, uh, somebody uh, was at a conference. He's talked about it being missionally ruthless. Like yeah. we are just in it to win it. You know, if you look at the stories, if you read missionary bi biographies, we, we named our son after Adoniram Judson. Our, our son is Judson. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's over in Burma, unspeakable tragedies. I don't know how much, I can't remember, at least two two of his spouses passed away, children passed away. The, the stories that are in his biography, seven years before he saw his first convert in Burma, I wonder if there's anybody that would go through that today. And yet, 
here we are having this conversation about depression. Like, how do you hold those two things in tension where you do tell people like Second uh, Timothy 2, 3, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that wars entangles himself. Like, don't get so entangled. We're, we're in a war here. You're like a soldier. And yet it's an easy yoke and a light burden. And yeah, there's a lot exactly. of joy here. How do you how do you hold those two things together as? Well, I remember on some of those dark nights reading those missionary biographies, and those were often the things that drove me, right? Like, like, man, okay, so yeah. I'm complaining about this, but like this person has gone through this. And for me, kind mm-hmm. of the the breaking point, if you will, was when I realized I just couldn't move forward anymore. It was like it was like, you know, the <laughs> the um the wheels on the train just kept getting you know, stuck and stuck and stuck. And I think looking back, I feel like in a way, like, um, God was not that he was causing the depression necessarily, but he was allowing it to just kind of pause me and just say, okay, no. So I don't need you. Right. I don't, I don't need your church. And that, that was kind of painful Mm. to wrestle with and on all this stuff. That's hard. And, you know, even I even look back on the timing of, of when we moved. We moved um, a year and a half ago, right? Uh, just pre-COVID. Talking to pastors now, they haven't met in uh, one of them. Just he said that we've met once in the last year, right? It's and so the timing, in a way, we knew we were supposed to move and kind of take a step back and pull back. Um, but in a lot of ways, I feel like, um, yeah, it's just I I, I was reading it. Not long after we moved to Idaho, I picked up a biography on Hudson Taylor mm. and was reading it. And he was one of the things he said was he was in, in China ministering. And then something just kind of caused him to pull back for a year. I, I think it was a health complication or something. And uh, he went to London and was kind of frustrated that he was there. But after pulling back, it gave him a much broader perspective. And one of the things, honestly, personally, this has done for me is, is, in continuing my doctoral research and still interacting with a lot of church planners in Toronto, yeah. it's given me a much broader perspective of the kingdom because when I was there, it was just like all in on this one particular area of Toronto. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, it's been humbling because I'm talking to guys that have done it well, that have done it right. Right. And so I'm yeah. kind of like, you know, but again, I just think part of this, I'm kind of rambling here, but it's just part of this is, is, is just, it's not about us, right? It's not about us. Yeah. And I guess where I'm at is, like, I obviously, you knew me. I had a dream to plant a large church mm-hmm. and still, still kind of have that. Um, and to see, you know, see a lot of people come to faith in Christ. Um, mm-hmm. But where I'm kind of at is just, hey, if, I, if that happens through a lot of my doing, awesome. But if that's going to happen more because I can contribute to someone else really spearheading that— then that's awesome too. What, what, whatever way that happens, and so I guess coming back to tying that in with wow. depression, that that's kind of one of the ways that it shifted me a little bit because it it ripped some of the control that I guess I didn't wouldn't have thought was there, but really was there. Kind of kind of ripping it out of my hands, and then you know forcibly, yeah. So, um, if we have a friend that's planting a church or in ministry, and we're, we're chatting with them, and uh, they're going through hard times. What would you say is the difference between, hey, they need a friend, they're in the midst of a hard space, and they are depressed, and they need some 
some help. What, what, what would you say to that person? Because I mean, as I didn't know, I just, I just thought, I mean, man, it's rough. Planning church is rough. It's no, there's no glory in this. It, it, it looks great from the outside to run somewhere and then you're in the mid, the thick of it. And, uh, you didn't, you didn't exactly have a staff of 90 people yeah. to, to manage and move around and all these things that you're gutting it out, you know? So how do you know the difference between, Hey, he's just going through a rough spot versus like there's, there's something pretty seriously wrong here. I mean, it's tough because I don't know. I guess I'll be careful how I say this, but I, I think someday, sometimes today, we can be pretty soft, I guess, in a way, mm. where um, we interpret spiritual or opposition that we face as an indicator that God must not want us to be here. Oh, and wow. I, I think that's really a problem sometimes that maybe some of the opposition that we face, we actually need to work through that and that God is going to refine us. But, um, you know, you think of even like neighbors or or friends that we talk to, right. That are kind of hostile towards the gospel. Okay. Maybe that's God's way of saying you need to back off or maybe it's actually, you know, um, time for you to kind of double down and really take your love to the next level. So it it is really tough to balance those things. Like, like it's, it's extraordinary. Very, very difficult. I, I would say a big thing to, if you're talking to someone and they're going through, whether they're in ministry or regardless, whatever, is ask, okay, if they're married, for instance, what impact is this having on your spouse? Have, have you had a real conversation with Oof. them? What, what impact is this having on your family? That was honestly the turning point for me. I've told Janan this, I think I've told you this. I probably wouldn't have gotten the help that I needed if it weren't for them. Um, probably would have eventually, but, you know, that yeah. expedited the process because I realized when Janan was living with someone who is struggling with this, it's very, very difficult for, on, on her, and it's going to be difficult on my kids and things like that. And when I say difficult, just, just so people understand, it's, it's nights on end being up till 2, 3 in the morning where you can't sleep and you feel like you're just tormented every single night where it's like... You know, um, you're worthless. You shouldn't be on this earth. You know, you should take your own yeah. life. You know, just, just some of the dark places your mind takes yeah. you to. And for some of you listening and watching, I mean, you know, you, you've been there time and time again. And again, kind of that industrial model <laughs> that I talked about yeah. is just plow through, just get it done. Yeah, suck it up. You know, yeah. And, but again, you have to say a lot of these people that you point back to that did that, they paid a tremendous price for doing that. And if they yeah. didn't, you know, as one author says, you know, um, there's a price to pay for being great, but great men re- rarely pay the price. In other words, the people mm. around them often pay that, right? Yeah. And I think that's—depression, in a way, can be very selfish. Uh, be careful how mm. I use that, but that can be—we can almost enjoy—I kind of struggle here—we could almost— um, enjoy as though maybe, hey, we're suffering, right? We're suffering mm. for Christ. Mm. And that can be a really bad place to be. It's a very self-centered yeah. place to be. And so for me, Practical Steps went to a counselor for a year. Um, yeah, It was, that was kind of humbling. Uh, just for me, I, I really didn't want to do that as much. Wasn't totally opposed yeah. to it, but it just 
I thought it was kind of a waste of money, to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I went and that was helpful. Um, not not yeah. crazy helpful, but it was it was it helped helped me work through a few things. Yeah. Medication. I uh, went on medication for two years. Haven't been on it for over a year now. Um, but um, a little antidepressant, and that was helpful to to an extent as well. But again, steps I wouldn't have taken if I didn't have you know wife and kids. So. Yeah, I think I think you you hit on something here. Even just connecting to our our missionary talk, uh, there's been people that have had such a a vision for the world um, that maybe their vision for their families. I think some of the biographies, the backstories to a lot of the children and 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 marriages um, suffered. And I don't I don't think that's God's plan for all of us, any of us rather. That I mean, He wants us to thrive in those relationships, and uh, I think probably that. He does. That's the primary way that we um, learn about God is in the family, and so you know who He is, what He's done, discipling. That I mean, that's God calls us to that when we have families, and so it's really easy to like look at the world. But I think you're right when we, well, if we're not spending time with our children, or if we do, it's it's terrible time. If we're we're treating, I mean, just to be blunt. If you're treating your family like trash, that's not God's plan. Whatever ministry you happen to be involved in, that's not that's that's uh, below biblical expectations for somebody. That even some of the 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 qualifications for eldership that Paul lays out. I mean, you you've got to take care of your family. Yeah, you know, and you got to be there. And so when you see this is not happening, I mean. Shout out to Janan for maybe talking to you about it too. I mean, yeah. Well, she yeah. she really. I mean, there's we could have a whole different podcast with that of the ways that she handled things. She really did was was so good about handling things, and I, I think for me one of the things was just learning to communicate because when you're struggling with things, especially guys. So so when we hmm. had Becca Bowman on on our podcast several weeks ago, when they yep. were going into the midst of hard season, the pastor sat him down and said, "Okay, you need to." say how you want to communicate with each other right and he said danny said i want to be more quiet and she said i I just need to talk things through for me i I need space i need quiet and so um through talking with i think actually it was a friend of ours a tim keep a number of years ago he talked about missionary friend of his that sometimes go away for even a day or two and just needed time to refresh recharge and Janana's has done that at different times where not i haven't really gone as much away for like a day or two but uh it'll be like an afternoon and just say man i, I just need time to refresh and mm. refocus and it's amazing what that can do then for for yeah. you know and so yeah i mean a lot of the ways she, she's been so amazing at not only um i don't know i guess not only just understanding um but really just saying doing the practical things like okay hey we're going to pray together we're going to sit down and just you know and kind of (laughs) worshiping with me in in some of the hard seasons and that's just yeah yeah, that's that's just incredible so so my question would be going forward you know so we text a lot i know you know there's not a lot of a like a rival language in this in this in your experience where just like I had depression and here's how I got over it. Um, so you, you 
deal with things still. And, you know, you'll text me having a hard afternoon, pray, pray for me. And I just wonder maybe, do you, th- what, what does it, what does it look like to not have maybe these huge swings like you had before when you didn't realize, oh, this is happening. And when this happens, if I do this, this maybe flattens the curve a little bit. You know, you understand what I'm saying? A little, yeah, a little bit. Um, like, like basically how, how has life gotten a little bit better? Yeah. Like you, you still deal with this as, but how have you learned, what are some practical ways maybe that you've, you've learned how to, to, to better um, react to things that are happening. Well, and that's one of the reasons I, you know, <laughs> titled the book Walking with a Limp, right? Because it's, yeah. it's continual. Jacob walked with a limp for the rest of his life. And as far as we know, and, and so in life, that's the thing. I mean, we often pray, God, would you resolve things? And I think one yeah. of the, the deepest areas of trust for Christians is learning to trust God with things that aren't resolved, kind of the unresolved chapters of our life, so, so yeah. to speak. And so for me, just practical things that I've done, um, you know, routine and rhythm is, is so big. So exercise, obviously, obviously say is, is really big. So simple thing, we got like a Bowflex Max Trainer, a little bit more expensive, yeah. but totally worth it. Best piece of, yeah. <laughs> I should be a rep for them. Um, but, mm. e- e- you know, every day sponsors. whenever I can. Sponsors. Yeah, sponsors. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Bo- sponsored by Bowflex, the Monday Christian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so, but I'll go on that for at least 14 minutes a day. And just that, getting my heart rate up, exercise, uh, run, going for a run, things like that, working out. Um, that's, that's really good. Uh, keeping a hobby in my life. What's one of the older pastors that, that I heard speak, um, you know, mentioned that I've heard numerous older pastors saying, okay, I wish I would have kept up one hobby. And I kind of took that to heart and said, okay, I'm going to keep up hockey, you know, and yeah. I kind of let all my other, other sports fall by the wayside. So my basketball skills and all that have deteriorated <laughs> drastically, not that they ever were there, but, but, um, you know, and so keeping up some, some healthy things, uh, what do I, yeah. what do I eat? Um, making sure, you know, there's different things like, so, kind of a separate conversation, uh, spent a lot of time fasting, especially in the past. And, um, I think through all of that, best as I can understand, I think that probably contributed to some of the, so it's like dairy allergies that I have. Um, again, not, not for certain, but it kind of seems like in, in talking with, with some that, that, so simple things, I can't really do a whole lot of dairy anymore cut that out, cut out some other things in my life where I just don't do that I know have contributed. And then I think a big thing for me is knowing when I'm hitting my mark. So if I'm, if I'm getting like here and then I'll say, okay, but I want to finish this project before I would say, okay, I'm just going to finish it. But now I have the freedom to say, okay, I'm going to stop and then go on to something else and, or just, just take a pause for the evening and come back to it. Yeah. yeah. So I love what you're saying. Uh, one of the guys I like listening to his podcast. Uh, he's heh, shocker. Uh, he's a retired Navy SEAL, but he says discipline equals freedom. And so, what do you say to somebody who's like, you know, that you hear all this stuff? You just said like, eat well, uh, discipline yourself to exercise every day. Uh, don't finish prod like leave things on the line. 
So you have all these sort of discipline things. It's like, man, that sounds like a, a lot of work. How have you found freedom in that? Because I think as humans, when things go wrong, we have these well-worn paths. So it's not a lack of information. We know that we shouldn't eat Oreos by the sleeve. But for many folks, when they get, when they get stressed out, it's the natural thing to do to go back into these habits that are very destructive and yet in some way they're, they're comforting, but yeah, they I mean, don't bring yeah. joy or anything like that. Well, I just think of that faith without works is dead. And oftentimes we only attribute that to faithy things, right? Yeah. But when you're going through something like depression, you, ha- you have to realize um, that sometimes the greatest step of faith you might take for a morning is when your body is saying, okay, I don't want to exercise. I don't want to do any of this to force yourself to say, okay, no, I know I'm going to feel better after this. It's going to snap me out of that fog that I'm in, and it's going to get me on the right path. I yeah. think that's really that's really the line that yeah. if you just kind of accept and you say, okay, no, I'm struggling this way, and I wish I could get out of it, but you know in the back of your mind there are some things that you could do that would really help you, but you just refuse to take those steps— Really, in a way, that that starts to become a sin of omission. In a way, not only for for yourself, but but for your family. Like j- j- I, again, I don't want to throw guilt or anything, but but I, I you know it's, it's important I think to take this seriously. That if you're if you're if you like by putting in a good rhythm in the morning, like so, say um, you're just tempted to you know whether it's a Saturday morning, you're tempted to sleep in and and eat Oreos and watch a TV show. But you know that you're going to pay a price for that the rest of the day. Well, not only are you paying a price for that, but your family and those around you are going to be paying a price for that as well. And so in those moments, it's really an act of faith and trust in God and saying, okay, God, I don't want to do this, right? And it's overcoming that will and saying, I'm going to go and do the right thing so that way I can be better. And then Again, my family can be better as well. So, yeah. So I I, I love this, it, and I think you know we sometimes we end up having the same version of different com- different conversations. But I'm I'm harkening back to this whole running buddy idea. Well, how do you how do you make sure? You know, I, I don't, I'm thinking about how many times we've texted one another and 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 said, "Ask me about this next week." I'm trying to implement. I mean, you. I'm not going to share what you texted me the other week, which is like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It, it kind of gives you some accountability, put some structure in place so that, uh, you can actually follow through on some, I, I think sometimes oh, yeah, yeah, like, this- I'll, I'll share that real quick. So, so, so last week we had Craig Dennison on the podcast and I shared this on, on the podcast. I was like, man, I want to do better on social media. Right. And so I, I was thinking after the, uh, after our exchange, which if you haven't listened to that podcast, you need to go back and listen because it was, it was so good. And, and um, one of the things he shared on that was just like social media. And I thought, man, I, I've developed some poor trends in social media. And so I want to retake control of that. So downloaded an app called the Freedom App, right? I can only be on, like, only be on social media from I think it's like 12 to 1 each day. Yeah. And then it just limits it the rest of the day. And so I text you and then this last week, that's been what's happened, right? Yeah. Now, if I didn't have you to reach out to, then no. there's a better chance that I would have just kind of broken that because I didn't have someone holding my feet to the fire. Yeah, I think I think there's it's important to, to say that none of this stuff, as is not saying, like, 
this is a cure for depression. Here's how we cured it. But I think whether or not you're, what I like about your book it's not just for people that struggle with depression, but with discouragement and just the rhythms of life and disappointment. Um, th- this time of pruning for you as um, when you're, when it feels like, like I know your passion uh, for, for lost people and your desire to plant again and all these things that we've talked about, not here on the podcast, but where God has just hit p- pause and just put some, different structures into your life um, so that you can bear more fruit in the future. And so that, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're not talking about you like a cautionary tale who was so zealous for all of these things. And yet uh, his family paid the price. Like you said, I think this is a hugely important conversation to be having. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, one of my friends, uh, Troy Keaton, man, he's, who was so helpful through all of this, just just fan, you know, more helpful than I could say. Um, you know, one of the lines he would often uh, say was was Don't peak too early. And mm-hmm. I, I think there's, you know, kind of you mentioned a cautionary tale. I was watching a pastor's thing just a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. a bunch of pastors sitting around a table, kind of having this discussion. It was about a dozen pastors, actually, and six of them. Are no longer in the ministry, or or just had like scandalous things that had just absolutely destroyed themselves yeah. in their ministry. I mean, that's six from like 2011. Yeah, and I think there are times, you know, we often ask ourselves, okay, so why did this person, why did their marriage just explode, or what? But I just I can't believe that was a one-time thing. That that there yeah. were indicators that God was putting the red light before. But they just refuse to stop, refuse to stop. And then in time, you know, it's, it's a Ravi Zacharias quote, ironically enough, right? Um, that if you are so, basically I'm butchering it, but if, if you're so set and going your own way, it's possible that God will step aside and second your motion. Wow. And I think that quote is actually absolutely right and probably what happened to Ravi, you know, in a way, mm. in, in others, where... You know, hey, if you're focused on doing what you want to do, at some point, God's just going to say, okay, I'm going to have to let you hit the wall (laughs) to work you through some stuff. Yeah, one of the guys, uh, I won't even mention his name. You know him because you've probably seen his pictures on Twitter. But um, has been writing, is kind of pastoring a growing church. um, And um, we've talked about him before. We really like how he manages his public voice. But Weekly is, is posting on Twitter uh, pictures of the fish he's catching. Yeah. And, uh, just, just relaxing. Uh, last week he talked about what he did on his Sabbath, the conversations he had, the extra, like just sort of laying it out for maybe younger guys like us, like, Hey, here's an example of somebody that's very productive. That's doing a lot of great things, but also you mentioned getting up early. I think you know, my, my Saturday routine has changed. Usually like Saturday, oh, it's the day to sleep in, all this stuff. But actually, I, I enjoy getting up early on Saturdays and getting some things done. You know, as a pastor, you, you have to preach the next day and <clears throat> try as you might, you either have some more work to do, some polishing and editing to do, or you look at what you wrote again Saturday morning. It's like, this is terrible. What did I, what? Or like you, 35 pages need to cut it down a little bit. <laughs> but but seriously, getting up, doing, spending time with the Lord, getting some things that need to be done, 
And then being really like at noon on Saturday, my family knows like it's, it's Sabbath time. It's rest time. It's, it's rest rejuvenation. It's family time. It's not email time. It's not sermon prep time. It's not, you know, I have books. You see my stack of books. It's not uh, work on doctorate stuff time. It yeah. is. It's rest because yeah. I can't function. I, you and I both run pretty hot. I can't function without that time. Yeah. I can, I've tried it. I've done it for a few weeks, but what it does to my soul is it's scary. And I can't imagine somebody that ran like that for their life. And then we, we kind of see the, the train wreck results of that sometimes. And I, I don't, I don't know. What, what do you think about communities? Like, how do we get to the place where a church community kind of gets like that as, hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, how did this pastor, how did this board, how did these people, wh- what happens when that happens? Like, how did, how do we end up there? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, everything's so different, isn't it? Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. The, the rhythms and everything is just, it, it's just so different for every, every situation. And all I know is I, I just, I don't want to go down that path and you, yeah. and you've really helped me a lot there is just committing to some of the disciplines. I mean, multiple times in our conversations, and this is why I would stress to those of you watching or listening, why you need to have a running buddy and have someone who kind of holds your feet to the fire because um, in a lot of ways, I would say you are probably more strategically disciplined than I am with, with a lot of these things. You've, you've been down the road with, with kids farther than I have. And so you've, you've added a lot of things to your life that I've still am needing to add to really add, add the structure that I'd like to add. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, I just kind of all a journey and process and yeah, just kind of little by little. Yeah. I think there's great freedom you know, of course, talk to me in, in 15 years. Yeah. Hopefully my children aren't writing books about all the terrible things <laughs> I did. Yeah. But I, I do think you're right in that you have to be in, there is a level of intentionality and all of us by personality are, you know, some people take three hours to fold their socks and they're very particular. And yeah. so the idea of being intentional um, or disciplined is more appealing. Um, but I think for someone that's more free spirited, I, I wouldn't consider myself to be one of the more uh, lovers of Microsoft Excel spreadsheets that I know. Yeah, like the, right, the people right. that I work with in academics are very, very into details and like they wouldn't just like, hey, you want to go to lunch? Yeah, let's go. like, no, we didn't have that in the calendar. We can't. So I feel like <laughs> I'm fairly spontaneous in some things, but I think there is a point, no matter your personality, there has to be some intentionality to what you're doing. Yeah. You don't that you don't get to certain places by accident. Well, and just uh, and get, I think, uh, improve a little bit more and more. Just, yeah. you know, even just dumb things. Like when I play hockey, I'll try to think, okay, what's one yeah. thing I could just do a little bit better, you know? Yeah. And, and like, like in life, think that way. And, uh, you know, and, and by better, I, like, I think just, just simple things like, okay, um, a reading plan. What's a little thing that can help me, break me out of my mold, whether it's scripture memorization or, or all these different things. And uh, I just think, kind of going back to, to what I wrote, was, you know, think of Jacob's life. Here's a guy that when he has this encounter where he wrestles with an angel, 97 years of age, it's crazy. And you think yeah. for 97 years he's struggled and he's wrestled with God, in a sense, yeah. of, of all the deception and the things that he's, he's gone to. But finally God says, okay, you're in a place where you can no longer run. And here you are. 
And uh, it's in that moment that God can really use it. And so I often say, you know, God did one more, more, more in one night, right, than yeah. Jacob was able to do in 97 years of struggle. Wow. And I just think how many times that's the story in our lives where we can wrestle and struggle about why, not just depression, but why God's allowing things in our yeah. life, life. And we're, we kind of look at it as a, as a intrusion and frustration when God's yeah. saying, wait a second, I'm going to use this thing to help develop your character. I mean, uh, a quote from a mutual friend of ours, Phil Brown, he said, you know, uh, that God is more interested in developing your character than he is in teaching you a lesson. And I've mm. remembered that over and over again, right? Yeah. That we always say, okay, God, would you just teach me a lesson so I can go on to the next thing? At least I do. Um, yeah. But God's saying, no, I want to teach you who to become in the process. Yeah, and I think you don't you don't land there overnight. And so sometimes with these God-allowed things in our lives, let me just ask you this. What would you say to somebody that is struggling with the why of something? How much have you just, like, Lord, why? I, I'm, I'm in here. I'm in Toronto. I'm trying to plant a church. Why, why me? Why this? Why now? Did you ever struggle a lot with the why questions? And as you've kind of, in some ways, come out on the other side of this, um, walking with a limp, like, what would you tell, what would you say to somebody? Cause I think, you know, I talk to students and, and people I know, they just have these, these hard, hard things. Yeah. And there are no, there's no good answer to the why questions. They don't always, mm. God's, the thing is, God is God. We aren't, so we don't always get answers to the why questions. How yeah. have you dealt with that? I think it's chapter 15. I talk about that a lot with, with delts. Um, and there's kind of four levels and I'm not going to remember these probably. That's a terrible thing. You write it down you spend so much time thinking about it. And then all of a sudden it just disappears from your mind. I'm so, checking up on you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so the, the first level is just kind of like, okay, God, why is this happening? Right. And then the next level, okay, well, God, like, why have you not resolved this? And, and then you begin to question God's character to, to, until you get to the point where you're like, God, you must not be real at all, right? You must, you must not care at all if you're allowing this to happen to me. And I think the key, one of the keys to the Christian life is recognizing where you're at on that spectrum and cutting it off early. It's okay to ask the why questions. David asked that a lot. Um, yeah. But it's, it's, a, it's a totally different animal to attach a why and attach a motive um, to that, where it's like, okay, God, why is this happening to me? And this must mean that you are X at, and kind of attributing that, that to God. And so I think, I think it's kind of the cautionary thing. Number one is, is, um, I think Tim Keller says, uh, Dell is a bit like antibodies. We have to have some of it, right? We have to have, um, a good sense, again, it can be semantic. Some people say no doubt whatsoever, but, but I, I think um, a proper level of doubt where we question and we say, okay, why is this happening? Where we bring our concerns to God, where we don't ignore them, I think that's very yeah. healthy. But on the same hand, we have to be careful that that doubt doesn't go into where our minds begin to question who God is um, and then that takes us to where, even if we don't say it out loud, we privately, we just, we live in a state where mm. we believe that God isn't real, and yeah. we kind of become, as it were, 
a, a silent atheist, a silent agnostic, just wow. even though we don't share it with other people. So I'm thinking of, is it, yeah, John, John, after, you know, knowing all he knows about Jesus, the whole, the whole baptism scene, uh, he sends him, you know, are you really the one or should we look for another? Hmm. Like it, it comforts me to know that someone who actually spent time with Christ got in a bad situation and was like, you know, I'm not really sure. And I think he did the right thing since God knows what we're thinking anyways. I think bringing our questions to him is not a bad thing. Yeah. Now I think living in a constant state of doubt or questioning where everything all of a sudden becomes questioned, everything, everything. But I think bringing our questions, I, I don't know. I, I would say if someone's out there doubting or discouraged or even depressed, I think it's okay. You know, we had, we had some pretty real conversations, you know, God, I'm not sure if you actually exist right now. I don't know. That's a bad question to ask yeah. if you're going through something that's, yep. And I hope you're not going through that alone. I think if, if if you caught anything in Ez's experiential sharing today, it's like, hey, I had this person. Hey, I went and talked to this person. Hey, I needed to see a counselor. Hey, Janana, there, there's people around him. He he didn't live in a state of isolation. I think when we get really discouraged or depressed, sometimes we wall ourselves off from the very things that w- could help us. Well, and two things that I always hit with with people is is number one. When you're going through some of your darkest nights, that is an opportunity for your highest praise. And so when it's 2 a.m., 3 a.m. in the morning, and you just can't sleep, your mind is to always is trained. Really, you get into the whole neuroscience of this, but it, we're, we're kind of conditioned to think negative thoughts. That's why, you know, if you look on media outlets, 95% are negative, right? Because it's just negative cells and we tell ourselves negatives so quickly but it's really breaking out of that and so when you're when it's 2 a.m instead of just focusing on the negative actually I did this last night sleeping with my two kids were at my in-laws house and so they were uh, struggling to sleep so I was sleeping between them terrible night of sleep right <laughs> <laughs> been there so amen so I think it was like 2 a.m and um just had a negative thought that went through my mind and then I just intentionally, I just said, okay, I'm going to replace it and spent just a couple seconds. And what's that long worshiping God and saying, okay, God, so I just praise you because of this. I thank you because of this. Yes. Those are incredible opportunities. But the second thing is this, um, Isaiah talks about it when, you know, if you pour yourself out, uh, for the hungry and the hurting, God will, uh, uh replenish you in, in parched places or something to that, that degree. Um, that as we sometimes as we pour ourselves out for in worship and praise to God, but then pour ourselves out for other people, God has a way of replacing that which is lacking. And it's interesting how when we go through hard times, the easiest th- temptation is to focus on ourselves. Why am I going mm-hmm. through this? But when we shift the d- focus to God, but then we also say, okay, um, but how am I also going to help someone else? It's amazing. You, you wouldn't think that. And that's the amazing part, I think, of, of faith in Christ, right? That God has a way of making up that difference. Because you wouldn't, in your mind, I wouldn't think that, that okay, if I give out more of myself to other people, that means I have less, right? Mm. But God yeah. actually says, no, I, I can replenish you in ways you couldn't imagine. And uh, This is awesome, man. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Um, 
I guess hey, we probably better wrap up, but we should. I want you so I would love for you just to close um maybe with just an encouragement if if someone's listening and they're either going through a discouraging time or they're they're just so under it or they're they're depressed. Close us out with a word of hope, man. Yeah, I mean, um just man, if you're going through some of your dark moments, look at this as an opportunity. A lot of people say, okay, you're going to make it through. You're going to get through this. Um, maybe. <laughs> may, may. <laughs> I, I hope I hope you do. But there's been a lot of cases in Scripture where sometimes people have had to suffer for weeks, months, even years on end with different things. And there's times where you will sense where, where God is asking you, okay, you need to pray for healing and pray that God would take this away. There, there are times when that's appropriate, but you might be at a spot where that isn't the prayer that you need to be praying and instead start praying, okay, God, would you help me maximize this season of life that I'm into the fullest? Wow. And um, that in the midst of this darkness and the pain that I'm feeling, um, man, would you show me a fresh side of your character that I would never experience before? You know, I was watching someone, I think Wayne Cordero, he, he's hmm. written a little bit on this, and he said, you know, a plane, when you're going at 30,000 feet, right? It's like, everyone's like, nah, I don't really believe in God, but then all of a sudden you, you dip down like this and you get down to where <laughs> you're brushing the tree limbs, everyone believes in God, right? Yeah. But then all of a sudden you get back up to the 30,000 foot mark, and it's like, okay, yeah. well, you know, and... But the thing is, God often has to take us to those tree-brushing experiences um, to show us really who He is, and so that we can live life differently when we get back up to 30,000 foot. So, anyways, that's my thought. Awesome, dude. Thanks for sharing today. I really appreciate your openness. And uh, y'all, buy his book. It's worth it. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 